Yes, how is this? Yeah, that sounds good. Hello, and welcome to Parallel Worlds. This week, we have the first in a series of interviews on this podcast with people whose work is directly relevant to ours. Today, I will be speaking to Sarah Luchthardt, who is a fellow teacher at the Master Institute of Visual Cultures, and who I've been looking forward to working with for quite a while. Before we start, I must apologize for the audio quality of this recording. It is coronavirus lockdown here, and the only place I could conduct this interview from was a park around the corner from my house, which I thought would be quiet, but actually had its fair share of birds and vehicles and all sorts of other bonus noises. I will try to do a better job of making up the next interview, I promise. But back to the show. Our guest today is Sarah Luchtat. Sarah graduated in 2004 from the University of Utrecht, uh, doing a course called New Media and Digital Culture. She started working within the Dutch Institute for Animation Film, NIAF, where she was primarily responsible for festival distribution. After that, she got the chance to work for the Association of Film Theatres in Brabant, which merged in 2009 to become the current Kunstblock Brabant. She has organized numerous workshops, film screenings, and network meetings. Alongside her work at MIVC Academy, Sarah was also a professional arts fund commission. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. And yeah. I've been wanting to work with you for a while because we've had a lot of conversations in the past. And every time I've talked to you, I've come away feeling full of enthusiasm about whatever we've talked about. There's something that I think is really nice about the way that you approach your work, which is really playful and really, really enthusiastic. And that enthusiasm is contagious. So I'm really looking forward to talking. No, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a really nice uh, experience to um, to have also some new people on board on the MIVC lately. Yeah, I think it's really good. And that also makes me enthusiastic about new avenues and yeah, stuff we can do. So no, it's great from both sides. It's nice to know. One of the reasons, for anyone who doesn't know Sarah's work, one of the reasons that we're working together is because Sarah runs a minor called Immersive Storytelling. And together we're going to be running some in-class activities at MIPC in the next week. But this episode of the podcast is an interview with Sarah in which we're going to talk about some of our favorite immersive experiences and the mechanisms that they use to build those experiences. So maybe I can start by just asking you to... Tell us a little bit about some of your favorite immersive theater experiences or immersive audio experiences. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a good question. I think the um, the minor also opened up a lot of possibilities for me as well. I was working in the illustration animation department a lot, and uh, this minor we organized together with the CMD or like AQ. It's the it's also an avant school, but then yeah, communication media design. So they usually are a little bit more technical oriented. And I think there's a lot of nice developments going on. Uh, of course, uh, immediately you think about VR, but there's also a lot of uh, things, things like immersive theater is very uh, hip, hip and happening. You know, there's a lot of people making those and you see it also in industry. So um, yeah, it's not enough anymore to just have a, a film series or a, you know, a Netflix series. You also need to, some sort of experience to go with that. Yeah, for example, Game of Thrones had this uh, experience apparently where you could go up the wall, you know, uh, sort of virtually with um, wind blowing through your face and uh, you're standing on top of this wall of Game of Thrones. But I also really like the more 
yeah, the smaller intimate ones, I think, are very strong. So, yeah, some of my favorites, a few years back, we met with the new students. Like the kickoff session was was in Antwerp. So we decided, okay, it would be nice to start off and nobody knows each other. And then we'll just have a little bit of a trip and then get to know each other, but also uh, introduce each other to the topic. So what we did, a colleague of mine, she was uh, she knew about this artist called Duncan Speakman, and he makes really cool stuff. And so we had this yeah work, which was actually made, I think, somewhere in Britain. I'm not sure where. But uh, yeah, it's actually nice that we tried this out, this experience. We tried it out on the Antwerp station. And actually, it worked pretty well for most of it. But it's, I think it's also interesting where it didn't work completely. But basically, it was about... Um, so beforehand, we got this email, um, you are this character. And then there were different characters to be sort of distributed. So some of us were... Uh, I was Alice, for example, and some other people were this guy, I don't know exactly, uh, but they had like different roles. And so I was Alice and I was asked to bring a tote bag, I think. And then we all arrived at Antwerp Station at a certain time. We didn't really know each other yet, but then everybody was asked to just uh, distribute themselves a bit around the station and start the experience at the same time. So everybody was like, okay, at 11 o'clock, press play. So this was an, uh, an audio experience, just audio, but also very location-based. So my experience started with soundscape. So there was sort of this calming music. And then I was addressed as, uh, from now on, your Alice. And then the audio was sort of my my inner voice. So it was just me talking to myself in a way, like uh, you try to catch the eyes of the people that walk out of the station, but nobody, nobody looks at you. It was very interesting that I was standing outside the station. There were people passing by and nobody looked at me. So then there's a very interesting you get this really uh, goosebump feeling where yeah what you're hearing is also what you're seeing uh, in real life so yeah that 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 I think was very interesting and there was for example a moment in the in the experience where we also interacted with each other. So I thought it was very smart. Like, for example, I'm uh, looking for a job, apparently, at some point. And then I, I sort of plan to walk into a store, but then I think again, and then I I have to stand, um, I sort of, you stand along a balcony and you hug yourself. I, it was something like that. And then an angel taps on your shoulder. That was That was in my audio. And then actually somebody did. You know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and gave me a book. So yeah, it was it was really crazy. And then uh, it was one of the students, but I didn't know him and I didn't I didn't see him in this experience at all. It sort of came together at that moment as well. So, yeah, th- those are some of the things uh, I thought was very, uh, very interesting. And then, yeah, some I did some sort of interactive theater or interactive game experiences, I think, were always the most impact. You know, you kind of have this really physical experience. Yeah, I'm really reminded of it often. I like the sound yeah. of that experience in Antwerp train station because it sort of reminds me of the experience I used to have when I was younger of walking around and finding an incredible synchronicity between the music that I was listening to on my back then Mm -hmm. it was CD player you know and as you walked the thing would skip sometimes and this sort of thing but I used to get trains into college and things and find that if I was listening to James Bond soundtracks everybody on the platform seemed to be a spy (laughs) or if I was listening to some sort of like prog rock somehow everybody seemed a bit stoned or whatever it was you were listening to was reflected in the world around you but it sounds like that experience really tapped into that and built upon it by actually placing people in the scenes who 
who do things that are yeah. very simple actions, but somehow gain an immense amount of significance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny how like the people sort of become extras without them knowing. So all these other people in the station are also extra, yeah, sort of extras in your experience. And even when they, they shouldn't be. So sort of there were also some really nice coincidences where apparently one of the other characters, I, did, I wasn't, uh, it wasn't Alice. So it wasn't the one that I was um, asked to play. But there were some other students that, that told us later that they were asked in that experience to take pictures, you know, like from uh, right. from where they were. But then actually uh, in Antwerp, there were then in that moment still soldiers around because of the Zaventem bombing was actually not so long before that time. So there was a lot of soldiers standing around and asking students like, why are you taking pictures? You know, like, are you, uh, yeah, that sort of uh, weird behavior, you know? So, so it also became one thing. And I think the character was actually some sort of spy. So yeah, it was like really weird. So the performance feels site specific at the time, even though you're just pressing play on an MP3 that's playing in your ears. Yeah. Somehow it molds the world around you or the world around you seems to mold to it. Yeah, it's really funny when that happens. I, I think it's quite remarkable that with that experience you're describing, it's literally just a track and the track somehow transforms you and then yeah. uh, to talk about uh, the thing we were talking about before about framing these experiences the way that you prime people to get ready to listen to what they're going to listen to that was smart also like there were different elements that worked really well so the sort of the audio which was really took you to this other place so it's kind of this idea of transportation which i think is really important for immersion that you transport somebody to a place to somewhere else like you do with any medium you know you sort of need in the book you need this sort of moment where you get into things you're not hooked from from line one well maybe if it's a really good first line of course i think some books are really good at that but usually it takes some time to really get into it you give your your audience that time i think it's good to give them that a little bit in the beginning at least so they sort of get into it and then also with the object like we were also primed a little bit beforehand with you know take an object so we're all everybody was also curious like what what's going to happen with that object why what's what role is that going to play so for example i can imagine that i brought a tote bag and then I was hugging the balcony, you know, somewhere in that story. And then another student was probably told something like, there's a girl standing with, at the balcony with a tote bag. And you tap her on the shoulder because that also gives some other person the signal like, okay, that's probably right. You know, she's probably in this on, in his experience as well. So in that sense, it's kind of preparing people for certain elements that make sense for them that they feel safe. Usually you have your authorship and you want to, you know, get something out there like a story. But now there's all, you know, there's your audience as well. So really look at it from from your perspective and then from from their perspective as well. So I'm I'm really sure that the 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 people who made this experience sort of scouted the, the place first and really thought like what what can we ask, you know, what can we ask of the audience and what's maybe too much or yeah, you really have to look at it. And when you design it, you really, you really look at it from that perspective as well, I'm sure. It's funny that not more design has that audience first perspective, because it sounds like the, the experience you're describing with this train station is that it takes you on an emotional journey. And at every point of the journey, you're supposed to be confused or intrigued or suspicious or anything else that you can experience. Mm -hmm. And then somehow that person tapping you on the shoulder reassures you that this thing is real they create sort of a little magic moment where mm. where you realize actually all of those emotions i've been feeling all along are part of a plan mm. and there's something in the the way that you have to frame that as an audience member 
that you have to suspend your disbelief in a similar way to if you're watching theatre or film, but Mm -hmm. in a way more so because you're involved in it. And I've had this experience with numerous immersive theatre performances I've been to or things like Secret Cinema in the UK or Punch Trunk, Secret Cinema, and they, they take cult films and create the entire world that exists around those films. So you turn up at, say, seven o'clock and you're immersed in the world of that film for a couple of hours and then collectively everybody watches the film together. One that I saw was of, of Games Brazil which is a fantastically built world in a film anyway. Mm-hmm. But they took an enormous, massive old office building, 14 stories, and turned it into this enormous world of different things that you would experience. And I'm really not somebody who will jump up in front of a crowd and be the first one up at karaoke or anything like that. But they did a couple of little tricks that made me feel like I had a responsibility to engage and to perform in front of people yeah. that was completely against my normal <laughs> my normal self. What were the so, tricks? I'm curious. At the first instance, you get split up. So I went there with a friend of mine and you get split up. In the film, there's a real division between working people and people who work in offices. So a lot of the film is about Danny DeVito's character, who's a plumber, taking revenge on this man who works in the offices by just ruining his house. I was split up from my friend. My friend became an office worker and was given all sorts of different jobs to do that involved, I think, filling a trolley up with paper and running around a maze or something like this. I don't know, because I went in the other side and I was trained to become general maintenance. And one by one, people were shown how to jump on some older bit of electrical equipment, how to really boot a chair over and show that you were really annoyed. And because it had this element of performance where the performers themselves, they're all trained actors, they carry the whole thing. And they're the people who create this believability alongside the built experience that you have. So the set design is incredible in these things. They're really elaborate and the tickets are actually really expensive because you're paying for this enormous amount of work that goes into them. You turn up and there's this whole world that's built around, but you're also given a role where you have an arbitrary set of actions to do. For example, in this case, kicking a chair over in front of a load of people. And because everybody's in the same place at that beginning part of going into the process, where they're all a little bit dubious, a little bit unsure about what's going to happen. But because everybody has to do the same thing one after the other, everybody does it with a a huge amount of gusto. It transported me into a different place very much. It was a really good tool of changing my perception of the place that I was from sort of having just got off a train in Croydon, (laughs) not a very interesting part of the UK, to suddenly being somebody who's responsible for being very grumpy and performing a character in this world. Yeah. And actually that set up the entire premise for the next part of the experience, which was that at some point you interact with the people who work in the offices and you have confrontation and conflict with them. Yeah. Also, um, Punchdrunk, the British theatre company, do this stuff very well, where their method of disconnecting you, giving you permission to experience 
their performances differently comes from putting a mask on. Everybody who goes to their performances, they have these enormous warehouse places or buildings that are going to be demolished in a year's time type thing create the the best sets I've ever seen. But everybody wears a mask and wearing that mask means you become sort of anonymized, but also your movements feel like they're part of a video game. Mm. That you're somebody who has, you have permission to explore the world. You have permission to just go and hide in the corner if you want, but you don't have the pressure of having to be yourself for a few hours. And it's Lift. Yeah, and I think that's really a good like a strategy. So I think some of your examples really show really nicely that there's different strategies to get a, an audience in a certain mode, you know, so there's like the spatial immersion where you're really in this space and then that space is so different from, you know, the world that you know that you sort of go with that, you know, and that that's a really important way to get people like transported into this other universe. And then there's also story elements. So, for example, me becoming a character in the story or me, yeah, there's like a mask. So there's some sort of role, you know, that you have. Uh, or, yeah, if you're dressed or in some way or not, uh, I think that's also a way to get people into it. Because, for example, if you give somebody a role or a character, they also feel a little bit obliged to yeah, do that right. You know, I don't know how that works with the one you mentioned from... Um, with the BT building where you were, where were you again? Uh, what kind of worker? Yeah, that's sort of a, a maintenance worker. Yeah. Who you have to go around and, and smash stuff up and basically not maintain <laughs> anything. Right. <laughs> and, and how, and how was then also, what was the role also from the, uh, were there like also people um, helping you with, with that role, like uh, telling you what, what to do or. One of the, the, the things they do at the start of that type of experience is they split up the audience so that they have different experiences. Everyone feels like they're having their own journey. So the person who I went with, I was physically removed from, and they went A, B, A, B, A, B, and, and put us yeah. in different corners of the building. So the first hour or so of the, the performance, we had a completely different experience. Of. Mm -hmm. But then... This priming part, it's a very simple sort of 15-minute exercise at the beginning. And the actors who you meet probably do the same thing day in, day out. The same five-minute loop. But they give you the instructions. They build the world for you. And immediately, with the ones who I encountered, they just shout at you. And they put you in your place immediately yeah. and make it an example of somebody. And then just show exactly how bullshit they can be by knocking over a pallet or throwing a shopping trolley into something or, you know, something that's an aggressive act. But you're also fully aware as the audience member that this is a performative aggression, that it's not something that they're doing to, to intimidate you. Like you're not, you're not an army boot camp. It's that they are teaching you how to performatively be aggressive. Yeah. And that role is given to you quite early on that you start you start doing this stuff and you do embody the character. And it's funny because it's the idea of giving people roles is very similar to what happens in computer games. But somehow when they're in these immersive experiences, you have to fully embody that character. You have to actually put on the hat of whoever it is and act as that person. Mm. And there's a, there's a general awareness of all the audience who are there that what you're doing is fantasy. But at the same time, it's something that everybody somehow is bought into. Yeah. And quite literally, in the case of 
secret cinema or punch trunk where the tickets cost a lot you've really bought into it (laughs) (laughs) you want to do your best to make sure that you really enjoy the experience yeah that's like i'm gonna try it all yeah i'm ready yeah because it's sort of if i think the priming also is about sort of willingness for the audience in some way like if you're really yeah if you really resist everything there's also just no experience so yeah i think you have to sort of come prepared or sort of come open to the yeah open up to the experience or else yeah you also know that it's just not going to be good and it just stops you know game over when you look back at your experiences were you always immersed like when i think it's also interesting where you drop out like there's moments where you drop in and out of of the immersion somehow and that's sort of really normal i think so there's not like a constant I'm buying into this. Like there's always this awareness. Like I know that this is not real and I know that, yeah, some, and always sort of this reflection, this reflective mode with yourself. Like, am I going to do this? You can't be immersed if if you, it's kind of how you define it, of course, but that it's not like all the time you you always have this sort of reflexivity, self-reflexive mode as well. Yeah. 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 And in the case of the two things I've talked about, the corridors between the floors, were always pretty much like a normal corridor in an office building. Yeah. And somehow going from one floor to the other, even though they're in a lot of cases try to make it feel like the world, there's a realization that they have to meet health and safety standards and they have to be okay. <laughs> you, know, you, you have to be able to use them rather than them being completely this immersive wall of tires you climb up or anything like that yeah there are constant moments where you have space to stop and check yourself yeah. and say am i still okay with playing this is yeah. this something i'm enjoying yeah and i think that that's a really important part of this what you've just said reminds me of one of my favorite papers which is gregory bateson's theory of play and fantasy mm. and in that paper he talks about how monkeys know that they're play fighting with each other. It starts out with him observing monkeys at a zoo in San Francisco and one monkey's biting the other one's arm. And he asks the question, how does this monkey know that it's not a real bite, it's a play bite? And his answer to the question is that monkeys like us have this mode of framing things and that we have a mode that's really important for our development and growth that is framing play. And I think that any time that you, any time you read something that is fantastical, you know, any fiction, any novel, any film that you watch, you jump through this frame Mm -hmm. and you enter a place where you know that nothing really has big consequences. If the lead character of The Godfather does end up dying, well, you know, you, you like him as a character, but you don't your world isn't going to end. And the same is true of all these immersive experiences where you know it's in the play zone. It's not quite a real thing. Yet you have to really know how to play because in the case of these monkeys, the way that they actually learn to fight is through play fighting. And then it becomes a useful skill that they pick up later. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that we should all go and play, you know, LARP games and, and do fake battles in order to fight each other. But I think that there are valuable lessons to be gained from this role of of framing Mm. that can teach us how to do things better in real life. Yeah, yeah. And sort of this this sort of play, like the whole concept of play, I think then is also really interesting. So there's, yeah, it's sort of what you do also when you're young, you know, like let's pretend that this is happening. So you sort of develop strategies to deal with stuff and you sort of, yeah, it's all about these 
you know, creating sort of this database in your experiences that sort of make you deal with stuff. Another tool in your toolbox. Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. To handle the world. Yeah, and, and sort of this this whole idea of role playing is very, you know, very, yeah, very part of what we do. I think you can argue in real life as well. So yeah, in some 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 sort of level. So I think also this. Um, I'm reminded of this. Um, these two game theorists called uh, Eric Zimmerman and Katie Salen, they wrote this book, Rules of Play. And then they have this concept of uh, the magic circle, which is something that uh, Johan Huizinga in this uh, sort of um, uh, seminal book, uh, Homo Ludens. So that's really about how culture and play and, and how that's so integrated in, into our lives. And they talk about, like, they also made these um, games where you, for example, are on a conf- in a conference. Like, everybody recognizes the whole setting of a conference. But then uh, some of the people that visit the conference are in on a game all uh, together. So they get uh, sort of assignment to have somebody talk about, like, say a certain word, for example. I think this is also kind of a known game where you have to sort of lure somebody to talk about some word, but without them noticing. So you're on the, you're in the conference knowing that you have these assignments, like, but nobody should know about it. So there's also this sort of new level uh, where you can say like that there's also this there's the real world of you being at the conference as a person, but then there's also you playing a game at the same time. Nobody knows about it, but yeah, it's sort of, but some people might, you know, understand it and they'll, they'll be like, haha, you are on the same game, right? I know what you're doing. So it, it's, it's really interesting how that can sort of infiltrate or also create some sort of different space in the same space. Then there's like the fun of, you know, being able to succeed, you know, it's like a game. I think the, it's also fun to, play with the roles like what's also the fun in role playing that you can sort of yeah there's some sort of goal and then uh, you play through the role and then you succeed in something uh, and that's always very um, how do you say um, fulfilling to do and if that if right. that works right so yeah it plays upon these in- inherent things that we like to do and I think play is super important in uh, more than we think you know it's uh, you used to think like yeah it's just for kids but I think as grown-ups it can just be just as relevant i think should maybe i, I couldn't agree more i think there should be more play in, in daily life <laughs> and i love the idea of next academic conference i'm at just having some silly silly task to to do to get me through because sometimes those things can be boring yes <laughs> yes um but then do you find with being a, a theorist on play and on immersion and all of these things that you ever find yourself playing a role within your own work (laughs) yeah i think so well i think this is interesting also i would consider like people for myself i know that i'm not like a super extrovert person and i don't really i think social things are are difficult (laughs) and then yeah you sort of make make your you sort of put on this hat um in a way, I see that you sort of construct some sort of idea and it's really close mm. to me, you know, it's part of me. Like, for example, I think when you mentioned the enthusiasm, I'm, I'm always really happy about that because I think that really gets me out of the door. You know, sometimes I probably wouldn't if I wasn't so enthusiastic about some stuff. But then, yeah, so sort of being in front of a class is, is, pro- is like a really scary thing in a way. But then because I'm so enthusiastic about it, I can sort of do it. 
And also because you yeah. have this role of the expert that's going to talk about all this stuff. And everybody accepts your role also in that matter. So everybody's also, and I think that's really vital as well, that they're sort of um, understanding uh, and people also accept that role. And of course, you're you're in the, in the early days, you're really, you're really scared that people will sort of see through it. You know, you'd be like imposter, <laughs> you know, the imposter syndrome yeah. thing is part of that as well. And then, I, uh, but in, the, in a way you're sort of, you know, you get used to it and it's sort of being, it's being, how do you say, given back or, or it resonates. So everybody's also accepting you in that role and they sort of respond to it in a certain way. And I think that's also something that you can really use for immersive storytelling. Like uh, if you present yourself in a certain way or yeah, then, then uh, people will also accept that. So I think the the people that yeah, be, are actors or people that are in that immersive play as a sort of main characters that help the audience into uh, into a certain role, I think they understand that really well. And they by responding to you in a certain way and sort of keep that in character, you have no way out. You know, you just have to respond in kind in some way. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I think that that role of feedback is really important yeah. because you do, I mean, in everyday life, I find myself playing numerous roles day to day. I find myself never 100% conscious of it, but there's a different mode that I have to be in to be in front of a class, to be, you know, compared to playing with a child yeah. or, you know, doing an interview or something like that, because each time you have to project a, a full sense of confidence. I'm just making this stuff up as I go along. Mm-hmm. But somehow the feedback that you get from everybody else has to echo back that you're actually okay at this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing a reasonable job at whatever the thing you're you're doing is. Mm-hmm. So with, with immersive experiences as well, and I think also now I'm more into it than I was a few years back, also because I'm more okay with like looking silly for example i think like for example if you're really self-conscious and you also know that if you don't throw yourself in it there's it's going to be much worse so just just do it yeah just go for it and uh, but that's something i i probably wouldn't have done a few years back a, a few years ago uh, and i think also like a, um, a year back I, I went to do this theater course also because i wanted to understand emerging storytelling so if you talk about storytelling i think it's really useful to uh, have yeah, do like do an improv course for example because then you really right. feel when a story is is uh, interesting or when it becomes boring when there loses tension and it's really this experiential thing that i was looking for because before that i was really like uh thinking 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 and then uh just during the last couple of years I be- i've become so aware that you're you're so connected to your body so it's like all phenomenology uh i think that was super interesting or this sort of effective turn where it's much more about how you how your body responds it's like so connected to all these things um and that there's some sort of um a lot of knowledge in there as well so there's a lot of knowledge in your body like how it responds to a certain situation so i was really fascinated by that and that really made me try a lot more also because then you sort of see it as research like i wonder what this will do to my body you know like uh, how how will i feel about this <laughs> and then you throw yourself into it there as well like instead of uh, thinking like oh isn't that silly or isn't that stupid you're like no this is all research that helps always. Like also with Corona crisis, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. It's like anthropologists, like how oh, all these people were behaving super weird. Yeah, it's all research. <laughs> yeah, the whole of your life is just research, mm-hmm. and you're able to just 
put it back into what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, that's also one of my roles, like the yeah. researcher, capital A, capital R. There's something really funny in this idea of um, improv as well. Yeah. I quite often feel like the best design in any sense comes from a sense of improvisation. Like when you watch stand-up comedians do an improv set where they have to really just pull things out, the audience feels the pressure along with them. And you get the same kind of thing with these immersive theater experiences where you go along and you have to become something that you're not always 100% comfortable with. But somehow, because everybody's there with you, they're, they're cheering you on rather than wanting you to bet. So that, that sense of sort of collective buy-in, I think, is quite useful. Mm. But I quite often find in, in my classes, I run exercises, which I think are akin to They're about feeling your way through something and knowing intuitively if it feels right or not. Yeah. So lots of exercises where you have to do free writing and you just let your pen move and you stop that inner critic who would normally stop you from not writing something really silly to just enable you to write something that you might otherwise not do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's completely true. And that's also one of the big takeaways from the minor in the last couple of years while we're developing it, that I think for some people it's really normal to just start making. And then for some students, it was really, uh, they start to think through everything first before they act. Of course, a little bit this fear, like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work. But then we really try to show them, like, the best way to find it out is to try. Uh, which is, sounds like super yeah. obvious, but then it's so hard to sort of get this. Yeah, that's all about experience and just and it, yeah, sort of prototyping this whole idea of prototyping. So some students are really they they pick up on this like they don't know, really really early, and people that just experiment all the time and sort of make by doing for them it's normal. But for some people, yeah, it really matters that they feel that it starts by trying out, and and you learn a lot from that, like from your tryout, from your. And I think, for example, for theater people there's always like a tryout or like the the theater is all the the version is always a version of something and then if you come from animation or illustration you kind of work towards a final work so maybe that's also a mode that they're more used to so we kind of in the beginning and of the minor we always have to try to um get them in this mode of working where you just try uh because thinking just doesn't help you know it doesn't help you to develop something yeah, I think that's a really useful skill in design in general. Yeah. I think there's a there's an illusion about design and artistic practice where there's this idea of the perfect project in some way. Mm-hmm. And it can so often be really unhelpful to think of what perfect is <laughs> because you'll spend your whole time trying to round every corner and make every single thing as tight as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're thinking about for example, in the immersive theatre context or some sort of immersive experience, how do you get people to feel something? The best moments of your life, if you think back, you remember, probably, you probably forget all the imperfect stuff that was going on. This idea of perfection is not something that is the thing that you should be going for as, as a designer or as an artist in general, but trying to create the best that you can in the context that you're given. Yeah. And being fully aware that iteratively prototyping Mm. and just testing and testing and testing and testing and thinking about the affect that these things have rather than the effect a lot of the time Mm. how does this thing make me feel rather than what does it do 
Yeah, I was saying like thinking doesn't help, but it does help. But after you did something, we're sort of, you know, like uh, sort of uh, thinking, making, thinking, making, or sort of do it while you're, Mm -hmm. while you're experiencing something like, hmm, sort of reflecting on that. That I think is super useful, but you have to have something to go uh, from, even if it's just part of it. Like, for example, also with, with prototyping, that it's not about having the whole experience, but it can just be a small thing, you know, just like... I wonder if air goes through this tube. Will how will that go through it? You know, like yeah, just try, just make it. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, the same as putting on your fictional hat yeah. in one of these scenarios. What's the worst thing that happens if I play this role? And what's the worst thing that happens if I play that yeah. role? A lot of censoring with students, like a yeah. lot of beforehand, like no, that's not possible. No, I can't do that technically. You know, that's just too complicated. It's really a shame because, and of course, I'm I'm like. I, I agree that it's not easy. Yeah? Like uh, I'm pretending like this is like uh, you do this, but uh, yeah, it's sort of this mindset um, that you have to let go about uh, of a little bit. It's, yeah, it's it's much more productive. But yeah, easier said than done, though. That's true. Yeah, yeah, and I realize as somebody who teaches people on a daily basis that it's very easy for me to look at what they're doing. Mm. as an outsider and see it within the frame of it being somebody else's experience and somebody else's project and be able to make comments yeah. on it whereas when i'm when i'm doing my own work i'm completely inside my own head and quite often unable to to do that stepping back that's necessary mm. so i i quite often feel quite hypocritical <laughs> as a design tutor <laughs> because something that sounds very easy and, and objective for me to say to somebody else can suddenly be completely paralyzing for yeah. myself yeah that, but that's good that you have these experiences as well eh? like i think it's really good to be reminded of that when you're like when i'm a researcher also myself i also t- tell my students like i didn't know what was i would do what i was doing at the beginning of this research i thought i had a research question but then i started doing it and it went into a completely different direction you know and that's okay yeah. you know and uh, uh so that helps me also a lot but then yeah yeah as a designer i can imagine that it's really important to be reminded of that that's like yeah your struggle probably every every time you make stuff there's a danger in becoming complacent you said in the beginning like it's really important that you for experiences that they're sort of new that there's like a little bit of a newness to them or your brain probably goes a bit like oh yeah i've, I've done this before you know and it's it's not so interesting anymore for for you you always kind of need a little bit of a challenge. The most fascinating or exciting moments is when you also feel like it can go wrong a little bit. Like it's a bit like this um, excitement that uh, that's like the tension. And I think with storytelling, it's like super important that it comes from a real place. I mean, I, I think you feel that immediately. And that's also why I think, yeah, your own story or like stay true to like sort of close to your own experiences or your own because it comes from a real place. And I think an audience feels that. And a little bit this excitement where it's not like super polished or completely came this sort of churned out thing. It's, it's, it's much less exciting to experience. Yeah, that authenticity yeah. is just That's so palpable yeah. when you see it. You know it when you see yeah. it, but you also know when it's missing. And when it's missing, the soul of something yeah. can just not be there. Yeah, and that can be super simple. Eh? Like the authentic part can be super simple. That sounds like a good, good. place to conclude the conversation. Okay. I'm really looking forward to the class this week. And no problem. thank you so much it's my for pleasure. talking to me on looking this podcast. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And yes, I hope you stay safe during this crisis. And I look yeah, forward great. to seeing you, you too. virtually Thanks. later this week. Bye. Thanks.